Open your Bible to Romans chapter 12. We're in uh, message number three in a series on the renewing of our minds. Romans chapter 12. Okay, if you are coming um, for Tuesday, which you all should be, um, if you're bringing any visitor children, let Nita know so that uh, she can make sure they've got a goodie bag. So any leftover bags are mine, but if there are other kids, we got to make sure they've got plenty. So Romans chapter 12, talk to Nita. Romans chapter 12. I'm going to talk about the second part of renewing the Christian mind. Last week we talked about reading, and, and what are we supposed to read? The Bible. That book which you hold in your hand. We're going to talk about releasing here now this morning, and it's probably going to be, I would hope that it would be the hardest message maybe you will have heard this year. Not that I'll be the hardest, but that the truth will be hard to actually act upon. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this, be not conformed to this world, but be ye... What's the next word? Okay, so I want to be transformed. I'd like to be different. I'd like to be better. I want to be a better husband now than I was when I first got married. I want to be a better uh, man of God. I want to be a better father, a better grandpa. Well, be transformed, but he puts in there a condition. He says, by the renewing of your mind. I can work real hard on my language, on my words, on my actions, on my eyes, and I fail. But if I work on the renewing of my mind, it says I get transformed. And that's what we need to focus on. Because a lot of people never think about what they think about. They never ponder what goes on inside their head. And I said last week, I gave you a description. It was the best one I could think of. It'd be like you. All that brain activity that we constantly take for granted is kind of like waking up one day and coming downstairs to find every neighbor in your estate all your in-laws and outlaws, every neighborhood stray animal, and every salesman who would ever call to your house in a year, all living downstairs in your house, in the kitchen, the dining room, and the sitting room. And the activity and the fighting that's going on there is what's going on, like what's going on inside of our heads, day in and day out, from the time we wake up till the time we go to sleep. And if you wouldn't like that in your home, why would you want that in your head? So we're trying to take some long looks at what goes on inside of this noggin of ours. Now, I said our grandparents didn't have the problems we do with what they thought. Okay, uh, They didn't have the time to. They didn't have the time just to come up with something new to do that was evil or deviant or whatever. They had chores. They had work to do. They had to survive. We've got too much time on our hands, so our brain is messed up. People are filled with thousands of hours of YouTube, movies, role-playing games, TV, Facebook, Instagram, and the news. And on top of that, in the background of all of that is all the worrying, the fretting, the panicking, all the, the reviewing of the bad memories and everything. And, and, and the reason why we don't think about what we think about is because it's, it's humbling. It's painful to actually realize all that's going on inside our head. This morning, I want to continue to focus our, more of our attention on renewing our minds. It's the key to having a sane mind. 
a stable mind, a restful, transformed. So far, we've learned our mind is amazing. And I'm not going to go over, I, I think our brain, uh, scientists mimic nature. They don't improve on it. So when scientists build bridges, they look at how the earth is built. They look at how rocks hold up incredible amounts of weight, even though the rock may not be very strong. When, when, they, when they design helicopters and airplanes, they study dragonflies and they study nature. If you want to know what a supercomputer can do, you study the brain, you study the mind. What I said to you before is I said that it can do unbelievable things. Your mind is not just a blob of gray mush, although some of you suspect. Uh, it is super designed what it can do. It is more than the brain in your head. It actually is all the thoughts, all the feelings, all the memories from three areas of your life going back to when you were two, three, four years old. You have three parts to your mind. You have a physical mind, a physical brain. You have an emotional mind, and you have a, supposed to be, as a Christian, a spiritual mind. In the midst of all of that, interwoven, overlaying all of that is your heart. So when the Bible talks about loving God with all your heart, it doesn't mean that you say, I just love with all that I feel. No. That's why Jesus made sure we understand and all thy mind, to make sure you understand it's a bigger process than just how you feel. Uh, the Bible talks about getting saved. It says, if thou believest with all thy what? Heart. That's an overlap of everything that makes up you, your mind. Now, when we talk about the brain and what goes on inside of our heads, uh, your mind is probably not in good shape. Any of you have any weird, angry thinking going on just constantly in the background? Just, just say, what is that? Why do I constantly snap? What is going on in there? Some people battle with constant discouragement, depression. Some people are unable to sleep or to rest. Some people have constant waves of sad memories just come across them. Some are just cold towards people, never really getting close to anyone. Hey, if you don't like what's going on inside your head, then these messages are for you. Amen. There is hope. So when we come and we talked about, when we, when we look at Romans chapter 12, look at key, two key words there in verse 2. It says, be not, first word is conformed to this world. Conformed means shaped by outside pressure, like your experiences. Your parents made a lot of who you are, okay? They, they influenced you. Your friends influenced you, didn't they? Your lack of friends influenced you, <laughs> all right? Loneliness, troubles, temptations, all of these things influence us from the outside. That's being conformed to the world, and we're not to be conformed by our friends, even by our parents. Listen, at some point, you've got to grow up, you've got to be a man, got to be a woman, and look at the past, how your parents treated or mistreated you, and say, they don't define me. Amen. Because that is, the Bible says, don't be conformed to this world, but to be transformed. God calls all Christians to constantly be transformed. Transformed is being shaped by a pressure that God puts in the believer, like when you blow up a balloon, that pressure of the air on the inside presses it out against the pressure on the outside. So, renewing the mind is the key to changing for the better. When we talk about that word transformed, it's a good old word, it just means metamorphosis, like when you take an ugly um, uh caterpillar, I'm going to call it a worm, but it's a caterpillar, take that thing and through a process of chrysalis transformation, 
move that thing to something totally different, absolutely mind-boggling, that God designed that to show us what he can do with our lives. So a lot of people say, well, I don't know what you mean. Well, if you're like that, God can take you to that. Okay, from stress to rest, that's transformation. A lot of people never, never think about that because um, when, when it comes to renewing your mind, it's kind of like having a car. You're going to have to fill it up on occasion. You're going to have to change the oil on occasion, aren't you? Or else you're going to have to walk away from it. And a lot of us have never renewed our mind. So we're burned out. We're drained. We have nothing to give. So when you're trying to serve the Lord and you just get angry at everybody, when you're trying to uh, minister to people or you're trying to love your family, you're trying to pay the bills and you just want to just jump off the roof, it's because you have not been transformed in a while. You've not been renewed. Um, Renewing simply means repairing what's broken in your mind. And our minds do get broken. Don't be too hard on yourself because you say, I've just been through some broken time. That's life. Amen. The world would like you to think that all of these movie stars and music stars and politicians never have trouble. You watch a movie star and they're sitting there walking around and they look like they're so cool. I watch Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp is a demon possessed man. He can't, he can't put five words together without, and neither can Jim Carrey. You watch them in their private life, they're a mess. But they put on a show and they get you to think that our lives are great and uh, they're, they're, they're coordinated, they're choreographed, they're filmed and then edited, folks. Real life hurts. And if you ever had a broken mind, you just wanted to quit, just said, I'm out, it's over, done, there's nothing left. All right, that's when you need to get renewed. The other one is, the other word, the other meaning is restoring your mind to how it was when it was made new at salvation. I gave you the illustration of the man who was possessed with 2,000 demons. And when Jesus came, whoo, boy, he changed his life. He was sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, and in his what kind of a mind? In his right mind. You know, when you got born again, you got your mind right. And if you could ever just remember how sweet it was, how simple it was, and you go, I need to get back there. That's the work of renewing your mind, getting back that sweetness, that softness, that innocence of what it was like when you first got saved. So let me let me just pray, and then we're going to start. Father, I ask you to help us this morning to hear your word again, and not just hear it, but be doers of it, because that's the proof. Lord, we can we can come to church, we can go through the motions. And we can neglect what we hear, and we will stay in bondage. But if somebody would just believe it, it'll change their life. I'm so glad you made it so simple, God. And it's not easy. Sometimes letting some things go, sometimes changing, be the hardest thing we'll ever do. But we need it. We desperately want it. I pray that you would intervene in the hearts of your people this morning, and that there'd be nobody in this room who would stay the same. Lord, bless this message to the hearts of our people here this morning. Help me be clear. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I gave you three preliminaries. Each time we've talked in this, this series here, I've said, first of all, you got to have a new mind to work with, okay? You can't work with, uh, here's some, uh, 
uh, Mikey over here, he wants to work with cars. But every day, Mikey, go outside the house and look out there. There is no car to work on. <laughs> and you can want to work on your mind. You want to work on your life, get your thing all fixed up. But if you don't have a new mind that you get when you get born again, this message won't help you. If, 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 if you want to renew your mind, you got to start with a new mind. So make sure you're born again. Secondly, and that, secondly, let me get over here. Focus on renewing your mind, not just changing your life. When you renew your mind, you're focusing on, yes, on three areas. You know, you need to, you need to eat right and, and sleep right. You need to have good friends. You need to, uh, have good balance of emotions, but you need your spiritual mind focused on, and you need to focus on this part of your life that really people are afraid of and change here, and it will change the rest of your life. And Paul even goes so far as to say in Ephesians 4.22, he says, renew in the spirit of your mind. Even when it comes to you, say, well, I've got a lot of hurts. I've got a lot of background. I've got a lot of memories. Before you even try to work on all of that past, work on the spirit of your mind. And this will be easy. This will be easy. All right, four steps. I did Last week we did one. And I said, reading. And I said, I'll ask it again, what are we supposed to read? The Bible. Now, that's not the only thing you read. But boy, if you read everything but the Bible, you're in bondage. You're a mess. You're up and down every news cycle. Um, secondly, today we're going to be talking about releasing. Second step to having a renewed mind is releasing. Third, be next week, replacing and taking responsibility. So, I said last week you need to read that book, uh, God said to Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe, obey, to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt have good success, then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So we said last week, we need to saturate, not just dabble. Don't just treat the Bible like an hors d'oeuvre dish. You need to saturate your mind, your thoughts, your conclusions with the Word of God. We said, secondly, we need to let that Bible start to fashion, actually shape the way we think. Third, we need to arm ourselves with the very same mind that Christ had. Christ was never afraid. Christ was never put off. Christ was never pushed where he acted or reacted out of impulse. Christ loved. Christ had patience. Christ, um, uh, 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 talked and explained even though everything was falling apart everything was headed to the end and he loved them to the end if if that is anything i want that's it because if you arm yourself with the same mind christ has you've got the best weapon ever then i said do what you know to do you know, somebody says i have to live the whole bible well that'd be nice but at least know what you're supposed to do and do it every time you come to church you ought to get one great thing you ought to do you, you should have learned last week, you're supposed to learn what that you should be doing? Read your Bible. Amen. So all week long, I hope everybody said, well, I got to read my Bible. Because if the pastor asked me if I read my Bible, I got to be able to say I read my Bible. Amen. Well, that was one thing you learned from last week. What you learned this week, get one thing from it and do what you know to do. Number five, we said memorize and meditate on what you read. I'll actually talk about that more next week, but you need to start putting some good stuff in. And then trust. And sometimes you need to just sit back and say, I can't figure it all out. I'm just going to trust God knows what he's doing. That's what happens when you spend time in that book. Now I'm going to talk about step two here this morning, and that's called release. Release. 
Um, let me catch up. By the way, let me, let me say this. I didn't say it last week, but I thought of this. A change of mind doesn't happen through some magical hocus-pocus act. A change of mind happens as we align our thoughts with the thoughts that God has. Listen to these words. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, God says. Thoughts of peace and not evil to give you an expected end. You know, if I could align my thoughts with him, he wants to give me a good life. He wants to give me a sane mind. If I got my life and my thoughts aligned with him, I'd do a whole lot better. Here's another one, Psalm 40, verse 5. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of all your thoughts, they are more than can be numbered. That's cool. You know, I... I don't think about Gavin all week long. I get times where I pull out my prayer list and I go, Gavin, Gavin who? Yeah, who's this Gavin guy? And I, and I think of Gavin for a little bit and then I'm off to praying for somebody else. Amen? You know, God doesn't stop thinking about me. And his thoughts toward us are absolutely innumerable. That blows me away. He doesn't mind thinking about me. Um, none of the thoughts. Psalm 33, 11 says, The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of God's heart are to all generations. That's cool. He's thinking about your kids. You know what God thinks about? Your grandkids. He thinks about all generations. So let me get up to this now. And by the way, people pay a lot of money for what I'm about to teach you this morning. In yoga classes, stress management, counseling classes and everything. And you get it for free, amen? Let's see if it's any better, will you? First of all, how many of you believe being forgiven for sins against God or against man is awesome? Let me see your hands. Go to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. Being forgiven is the best way to live. Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is, what's the next word? Whose sin is covered, covered in the blood. Blessed means happy, joyful. Um, having my sins forgiven is a great thing. Well, this next truth is unbelievably important to renewing your mind. Because after you've saturated your mind with the word of God... There's going to be a lot of things you're going to have to let go of to make room for what's in this book. If you're going to let your mind actually heal, you're going to have to let go of some things. That's why I call it release. It may be the hardest thing you'll ever do. But once you let go of what I'm going to talk about this morning, all your hurts, your, off- your offenses, the bonds will be broken. The chains in your mind are going to fall, fall away. You don't realize the, the strongholds that are inside each one of our heads and the chains that may not be in our arms, but they're they're on our heart. They, they, they keep us from being able to love and to have patience and to put up with. They keep us from being able to just, just smile. <laughs> and this will break those chains and make them fall away. I found, and I listen to this. I have to read this because I've got so much I want to say and i got to get to there. I have found that most mental and emotional bondage that Christians are in is related to two things. One is related to the amount of sin that we allow to build up in our hearts that we don't get forgiven. And it's related to the amount of forgiveness that we withhold from others. 
So there are two areas that will ruin your Christian life. One is you keep playing with sin and you keep piling up all that sin and you never get it right. And the other one is people are hurting you, people are offending you, people are walking all over you, and you never forgive them. Both of them hurt you. Hopefully this message will help you release everything you struggle with so that you can start over. You cannot keep adding stuff into your head and expect it to just get along with everything else that's in there. It's like putting more cats into a room full of cats. Can you get that picture? This is how we live. We live all wrapped up by our past and by our memories. We can't even walk. I read, I read about a scientist back in the 1930s. This guy had read uh, Albert Einstein's um, uh, theory of relativity. And he read that thing and he sat there and started to make his own notes. And this egghead, this high and really well-educated guy trying to comprehend all that Einstein spoke like it was Sunday school stuff. And he's trying to comprehend all that thing. And he sat back in his chair and he looked at that door over there and the hinge on that door. And he looked outside the window and he started to comprehend. He said, this earth is spinning a thousand miles an hour, rotating on an axis tilted at 23 degrees. It is flying through space at 56,000 miles an hour around the sun, which is traveling through the galaxy at 170,000 miles an hour. And the galaxy is spinning uh, uh, around itself once every 250,000 years, and it's moving closer to Andromeda. And all these galaxies and all these atoms and all these molecules and everything's all spinning going around. He says, I can't get out the door. <laughs> he was trapped in his chair trying to process everything. You think about that. And that's how we are. We got, well, I'm not going to go talk to so-and-so because all I'll do is I want to bite their head off. I can't, I can't go and, and have dinner over my family's house because all they do is talk, talk, talk about everything in the past that was wrong. I can't go here. I can't go there. And you're trapped. Can't live that way. Not if you're Christian. You're going to have to release every offense you struggle with. I told you it's going to be hard. And then start over with people all the time. And only a Christian can do this. How do you do such a thing? First of all, you forgive. There are three great examples of forgiving. Joseph, now, if you will, go to, go to Genesis chapter 45. There are three great examples of forgiving. Genesis chapter 45. What I'm going to show you this morning will change you from an aggressive fighter for justice like the superheroes today that are on all these movies and stuff, you know, League of Justice and Marvel. They're all standing for justice. You know what the problem with that is? It doesn't belong to them. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. God says if you try to be Superman and try to make everything right, it's going to only come back on you and hurt you more. Joseph chapter 45 here, if you know anything about Joseph, his evil brothers hated him, they were envious of him, they wanted him dead, and so they threw him in a pit trying to decide how they're going to kill him, and then they decided, you know, we can make money off of this guy, and they sold him into slavery, never to see him again, they lied to his dad that he was killed by some beast, and they went on with their lives. And Joseph, for the next 22 years, lived in the most awful of experiences, first being hated by your own family and your own brother. 
brothers. Secondly, by being sold by your brothers. I mean, I can only think, I only probably debated that once with my younger brother, once selling him. But anyway, doing it, can you imagine the, I'll tell you this, one thing that scarred me for a while in my young life was my brother and I were playing with some friends in the estate that we lived in. We were playing hide and seek and my brother convinced me to go in the dryer. When he closed that door, panic set in. And I heard this chuckle. It was a chortle. (laughs) And I began to kick that door to get it out, and he just sat in there and held it in. Now, he didn't turn it on. This old boy had no idea what he was thinking. When he finally let me out, I was scarred, brother. I I hated my brother. That's a little tiny taste of what Joseph felt about his brothers. Are you with me? Genesis chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not. His brothers have come to him. It's been 22 years. He's been in prison. He's been abandoned. He has been abused. In verse, and, and he's been lied about. He says, then Joseph could not contain himself, refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, cause every man to go out for me. So he's in a courtroom and his brothers are there. And he says, get everybody else out. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. They didn't know that, that Joseph was alive, much less that he was the prince of Egypt. Verse 2, and he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh, outside the hall, they could hear Joseph bawling, crying. Verse 3, and Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? He doesn't know anything about his, about his dad and about his brother. He, he says, does my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. Wouldn't that trouble you? You go, he's, he's going to kill us. Verse 4, and Joseph said unto his brethren, come near to me, I pray you. And they all came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither here, for God did send me before you to preserve life. You know what he did? He forgave his brothers. And I have to tell you this, he did not forgive them at this moment. He forgave his brothers 21 years at least prior. Now he's finally able to express that forgiveness to him. So he forgave the unforgivable. Second one, Jesus. Go to Luke 23. Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He has been beaten. He has been whipped. He has been nailed to a cross. And he's been left there to die. And listen to what he says in verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, get him! (laughs) That's what I would have said. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And there they were down, the the soldiers down at the bottom, parting his raiment, and they were casting lots, gambling over his food, didn't even pay attention to his words. Jesus forgave the unforgivable. And he forgave those. Did they ask to be forgiven? One more, Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 59. 
Stephen, all he's done is he's confronted the sin of the Pharisees and of the nation of Israel in crucifying the Messiah and in rejecting the Savior. And he pointed it out and it got them so angry they picked up rocks and began to throw it and crush his body with them. Verse 57, they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and they ran upon him with one accord. They cast him out of the city. Verse 58, stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name happened to be Saul, became Paul later on. And they stoned Stephen. Watch what he was doing. He was calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, I'm coming home. (laughs) Receive my spirit. And he kneeled down. I see him. He's not, he's not going down. Because he's dying, he's going down because he wants to make sure he prays before he dies. And kneeling down as those stones are hitting him, he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin. Was it a sin for them to be stoning him? He says, lay not this sin to their charge. To their charge. He asked him, God forgive him. Did one of those people cry out, I'm sorry, Stephen. Not one of them. All of the great examples of forgiveness in your Bible who were intensely hurt and offended and abused with great injustices were forgiven without hesitation even though their enemies never asked to be forgiven. Let me ask you this. Who's offended you? What has offended you? Have people neglected you? Have people rejected you? Remember when you were in PE class. How many of you remember the pain of being in PE class and being the last one to be picked for a, a, a sporting thing? It says, oh, I got, I'll, I'll, I'll take the cripple over Ledbetter, you know? <laughs> I mean, the, ugh, the stabbing, growing up, oh. Anybody ever bullied you? You know, the world is so intense on trying to help people not be bullied. Well, let me tell you, you're going to be bullied. You better get your mind renewed so bullying doesn't hurt so much. Anybody ever said unfair words and did unfair actions against you? Anybody taking you to court? Maybe it was a close friend. Maybe it was your own husband or your wife. Maybe it was your parents who were just evil towards you. You know what Jesus said? If it had been my enemy, I could have handled it, but it was my own familiar friend. Maybe it was your employer who fired you. (laughs) I've had the privilege of being a hirer and a firer, and it ain't no fun firing because you watch them as they really are when you find out how they take to being fired. Whatever upsets us should not upset us as Christians like they norm, like things normally do. How easy do you take offense? Go to Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18, verse 19. How easy do you take offense? Proverbs 18, verse 19. A brother offended is harder to be won than a what? Than a strong city. You try to conquer a whole city, it ain't going to happen. There's walls there. There's armies there trying to stop you from getting back in. Well, if you offend your brother, it's harder to win that brother who's offended than, a, than conquering a strong city and their contentions against you. 
Their anger and their bitterness and their words and their arguments are like the bars of a castle. You're not bending them. Are you like that? Now, I'm going to tell you, some things are clearly offensive. Some things ought to offend us. Physical abuse ought to offend us. What Hollywood's been exposed of and what all of us knew for the longest time ought to offend us. Pornography ought to offend us. Sexual abuse ought to offend anybody. But most things in life shouldn't. Can I say that? Most things that you just fly off the handle and get upset about shouldn't happen. Not to a Bible-even Christian. Do you allow yourself to take offense as if you're entitled to it? Entitled to being upset all the time, raising your voice, pushing your point, demeaning everyone around you? Do you pridefully argue that what somebody said was aimed at you? I had to be careful. I mean, when I came to Ireland and I started preaching, I would tell jokes. Now, Eric's the only one that's allowed to tell jokes. But when I came and I would tell a joke, I'd have somebody come up and say, were you talking about me? <laughs> I went, no, it was just a joke. And I had to be very careful. I had no idea what it was like and what people were thinking. Let me just tell you this. Some people think that I'm talking, and some of you right now are going, that, that Ledbetter's talking right about me. He's thinking about me right now. I'm not thinking about anybody but me, amen? Are you with me? So don't take this. If it is offensive, take it up with God. Do you pridefully argue that what somebody said was aimed at you? Do you feel that you have to defend yourself when somebody says something that you take as an offense? If I said, man, I really, really don't like the new Ford Ka car. Don't even like pronouncing it. I think they're ugly. And then I find out you went and bought one. <laughs> Would you be offended? Say, I'm not coming back to church anymore. He doesn't like my car. Can I have an opinion? Do you get my point? People are like, he talked about my car. I wasn't talking about your car. Do you get the point? I think the first cars that came out looked like they had big nappies on them. Amen? Are you with me? And if you got one, you drive it. Praise God, I'm not going to fault you. But that's so offensive to some people. We take offense. Often when we do take offense, we end up striking back and hurting other people. And we take offense because we feel an injustice. That's not right. So we've got to bring balance back to an equal response. I would say everybody in this room is, is weighed down right now with past offenses against us, all the history of abuses and hurtful words that have been said against us, destructive things done against us, all the hurts, all the injustices, all the bad memories. But each of these things that we hold on to, no matter how painful, no matter how wrong it was, each of them we hold on to will become a chain and a prison around your heart unless you let it go. Do you know, Jesus works backwards to what you would think about handling offenses. Go to Luke chapter 9. Luke 9. Our natural reaction when somebody brings an, an, brings an offense against us and hurts us, takes advantage of us, is to take control. Carpe diem. Seize the day. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he said unto them, how, what's the next word? Okay, so there's nobody left out of this statement. Watch it. No matter how hurt, no matter how abused, no matter how offended. And he said unto them all, if any man will come after me, 
Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whosoever is going to try and save his life, preserve his life, protect his life, protect his reputation. Is that understood? Who's going to lose his life. But whosoever will go ahead and lose his life for my sake, the same is going to end up doing what? Is that the opposite of how you feel when somebody attacks you? Jesus seems to always do things the opposite of what I would do. (laughs) Jesus said, to get control, you're going to have to lose it. That's why forgiveness has to be taught. I know when we were kids, you'd get into an argument. You remember getting into an argument? I I don't know if I've ever seen Sean angry. But can you imagine Sean at, at six years old with a neighborhood kid and I'm not playing with him ever again, Dad. Me down the road, he took my ball, and I'm not playing with him. The next morning, what are you doing? He's out there playing, kicking the ball with Jimmy. But ever since Sean and Jimmy grew up, he got harder, didn't it, to forgive. And it has to be taught and drilled into us. I have to forgive. So Jesus turns on his head because it is something that is spiritual. That's why I'm focusing on it here when it comes to renewing our mind. So there are eight truths about forgiveness that we're going to get out of one portion of Scripture, Matthew chapter 18. All of that to get us to Matthew 18. <laughs> I'm going to read the whole passage and then go through it, make some statements, and hopefully rattle your thinking. Matthew 18, verse 21. Matthew 18, 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? And Jesus said to him, I say, unto, say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents, like saying ten thousand bags of silver. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. The same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pennies. A hundred pence. And he laid hands on him, and he took him by the throat. (laughs) Wow! Saying, pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison. He owed it, therefore he had to pay it. Therefore, if he couldn't pay it, he had to go to jail till he should pay the debt. Verse 31. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry. And they came and told unto their Lord all that was done, and then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee, look at the next three words, all that debt, because thou desirest me to. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tor, circle that word tormentors, because we're going to focus on it here this morning. And he delivered him. Is this man forgiven, yes or no, of his debt? Yes or no? Yes, but now he has been put back under torment, not going to hell. He didn't lose his salvation, but he did lose his sanity. He says he's been delivered to the tormentors 
till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise, verse 35 says, shall my heavenly father do also unto you, Peter, (laughs) if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Eight truths, eight truths. First of all, it is impossible to forgive as we should. Peter's imagining, you know, Lord, John's been crossing me all day long and I've forgiven him four times so far. I think my limit will be seven before I choke him. Are you with me? Now you're laughing, but you're the same. You're like, your kids are pushing the limit and you says, you do it one more time and I'm putting you up in the room and I'm not opening the door for a month. So you know the limit there, and he imagines that's all I can handle. And the Lord says, I know, that's all you can handle. Jesus says, I know you want to go as much as seven times per person per day, but let me tell you this, you need to do 70 times seven, which is 490 times per person per day. That's a lot of forgiven. It's going to take a miracle to get you to to actually forgive somebody that much without getting bitter. Secondly, it is mandatory to forgive. Look at verse 21 again. Verse 21, this is, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus doesn't make a suggestion. He says, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Let me be real clear, folks. He is not suggesting. You know, when you sit down with a counselor, you know what a counselor does? I suggest you go back to your friend and you should try this. That's how, a, that's how a counselor would talk. Are you with me? Jesus doesn't say, I suggest. You know what he says? Do it. He says, I'm telling you to do it 490 times. It's a command. It's mandated. If I'm a Christian, this is something I have to do. I have to do it. There is no forgiveness without forgiving others. Go to Mark chapter 11. Hold your place here. Go to Mark chapter 11. In verse 25, and we're, swa- we're talking to Christians, and we're talking to Christians who are real, normal. We don't, uh, there's not a Christian in this room who doesn't battle with some sin on occasion, some bad habit, some thought, some temptation. All right, well, you want to get that thing right. You want to be right with God. You want to be close to God. You want to walk in the Spirit again. What does he say you need to do? Mark chapter 11, verse 25. And when you stand praying, what should you do? Forgive. Oh, Lord, I'm praying. Pastor, can I pray? (laughs) Yeah, right. When you stand praying, you better forgive. If you have, what's that word ought mean? If you have anything at all, excellent, against anyone, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But, Jesus, again, these are his words. If ye do not forgive. Neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive you your trespasses. So you sit there and you say, you know, I still got this trouble with cigarettes. I still got this trouble with lust of the eyes on television at night. I still got this problem with with depression or discouragement or anger or bitter talking and contention. I still got this problem. You know what the problem is? Somebody hurt you a long time ago and you won't forgive them. And so you keep saying, Lord, forgive me for my eyes. Forgive me for my tongue. And Lord says, I'm not forgiving you until you go and you say to that person who hurt you three years ago, I'm sorry. Sorry I haven't forgiven you. And I'm letting you go free. Amen. Until you're willing to forgive, all of my sin starts piling up in me. And like a clogged grain drain, it starts to stink. It's mandatory to forgive. 
You know, God gets the ball rolled, and I'll show you a little diagram I say here. Forgiveness is, uh, it has two halves of a whole, all right? So this is me. I'm the greeting guy in the middle, all right? I come to God as a sinner. I'm lost. I'm without hope, without God in the world, and I come to find out I'm doomed. But there's a Savior. There's somebody who loved me and gave himself for me and asked me to just believe on him for salvation. He'll save me. So I receive the forgiveness of God. You know what that makes me? Forgiven. (laughs) Amen? That makes me forgiven. But that's only half the equation. Now, something happens when I do get truly forgiven. You know, there's a natural reaction to being let off the hook for being forgiven, changed from, from darkness to light. You know what happens? I become thankful to God. If you never got happy when you got saved, you didn't get saved. Amen? If it didn't thrill your heart and your life and your mouth and your step, when you got saved, then I wonder, did you get forgiven or did you just get religion? There's a second half. That forgiveness has to turn into forgiving. And if I've ever been forgiven, I need to start forgiving others. I need to extend forgiveness to others. I'm extending out of the forgiveness that I got from God. How much did he give me? He's forgiven us all trespasses. He's forgiven me every sin. So now when I meet somebody who commits a sin against me, who has hurt me, who has offended me, who has pushed me, I have to forgive them, even though they may not ask, even though they may not deserve, they won't deserve. And you know what's funny? I'm going to go ahead and tell you a little secret. It'll make you very forgetful. Because the devil will bring that up to you, Gavin, and says, do you remember that sin that so-and-so? Do you remember that hurt that so-and-so did three, four years ago? And how they did this? And he'll bring up, he's called the accuser of the brethren. He likes to bring up our memories, and you'll go, I distinctly remember forgetting that. You know, if you ever do forgive somebody, it'll be easy to forget what they did to you. That's the cycle that a Christian needs to get into. Going back and relieving, I am forgiven. Being thankful. Starting to extend forgiveness to others. And you, all those memories won't start taking up all of your time. Amen? So let's go through these things. The first thing I said was, it is impossible to forgive as we ought. We're going to have to have God's help. Secondly, I said it's mandatory to forgive. Jesus didn't give a suggestion. He gave an order. Third, is going to cost you probably almost everything. Go to verse 23, back in Matthew chapter uh, uh, 18, 1823. By the way, what if the offender doesn't ask to be forgiven? Let me be, let me be practical here. It doesn't matter. You say, well, they need to, of course they need to ask forgiveness. They now got a problem if they don't want to be forgiven. But let me tell you this, you don't want to be part of the problem by not forgiving. As far as you're concerned, you have forgiven them, which means you have totally forgiven them. They may, and I'm going to talk about this, they may never appreciate it, but as far as you're concerned, they're off the hook. If you're waiting on them to ask before you forgive, then you will remain in the bondage of the sin of unforgiveness because being unforgiving is a sin, folks. And you'll be in the bondage of unforgiveness in a worse way than they will be in the bondage of their sin of hurting you. Let me give you an example of my dad. 
Growing up, I had a, a normal life. Um, but for a year, from the time I was 11 till I was 12, there were arguing, yelling, broken things going on behind those doors between my parents. And didn't know what to make of it. My best friend's parents split up. And it was devastating to me because I saw what it did to him. Then, when I was 12 years old, my dad came into the kitchen, sat us all down, and looked us in the eyes and says, I got to go. It's not your fault. I love you guys, but I can't stay. I got to go. My mom was over on the side, just the tears and the red face. He walked out the door. And I, I was so mad. And I took off outside and I started running. I said, I'm going to run away. It took me about 25 minutes before I realized I have no place to go. I came home. And I sat there and I stewed and I hated my dad over and over and over. And as I went to bed each night and I heard my mom crying in her room for two years, I heard her crying herself to sleep every night. I watched my younger brother and my younger sister sort of self-destruct, fall apart. I don't think they've ever recovered. And I just built up such a hatred for my dad. Every two weeks, he'd come by, pick up, Craig, you ready to go? We're going to go to Chuck E. Cheese's, you know, or whatever. We're going to go have pizza. And I'd go, don't want to go. Don't want to be with you. For, I don't know how many years, until I finally said, I don't want to go to be with my dad. I made my dad's life miserable. He phoned on and said, I can't meet this week. Can we just talk on the phone? I said, I don't want to talk. Dad, click. And I wanted my dad to hurt. Okay? I wanted my dad to feel a little bit of what it felt like in our house. So, somebody talks to me at a coffee shop at 17 years old. I'm fine with hating my dad. I've gotten used to it. I tolerated him, but I didn't love him. Somebody gave me the gospel and said, you're a sinner led better and you deserve hell and you need to be born again. And the penny dropped as far as me that I was wretched. You didn't have to convince me I was a sinner. And this woman told me there was hope, there was salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. Invited me out to church, listened to the preaching. Penny drops, I get born again. Woo, hallelujah. Best day of my life, 15th of June, 1980. I'm walking on air. I couldn't believe it. I thought the whole world would want to get saved. I gave everybody gospel tracts, invited everybody to church. I was on fire for God. God called me to preach, to go to Ireland. I knew within two weeks of being called that I was supposed to go to Ireland. That was at at 17 years old. My pastor says, you don't need to go to Bible college. I said, whatever that is, I'll do it. And off I go to Bible college. I'm there among 600 other freshman students all wanting to serve God. I thought I was in heaven. And then a preacher came. This guy's name was Buddy Franklin. Buddy Franklin got up in front of the student body there and preached a message. I don't know where he preached, but I remember what he said. He said, if you ever want God to use you, no matter who's hurt you, no matter what you've been through, you must forgive them or else God will never put his hand on you. And he went through scripture after scripture and he said, you As a Christian, you could be saved, walking, trying to walk in the Spirit, trying to serve God, and you will self-destruct. You will implode. You will hit a wall, and you will dig your own grave 
if you have aught against anyone. And for an hour, he hammered, God will never, ever use you if you can't forgive. And my dad came back to me. And my memories of all my hatred of my dad for years flooded back. And after that, I went to the park where I actually uh, spent time with Nita year, uh, years later. But that park was special to me because as I walked around this big pond park there, as it was getting dark, and I started walking around, and I said, God, I can't. But I must. God, I want you to use me. I'm going to Ireland. That's why I'm here. I, I don't want to waste my time. If I can't forgive my dad, I might as well just die. Would you help me forgive my dad? And over about an hour, hour and a half, I just confessed and confessed and confessed. And I said, God, I'm sorry that I have not let my dad go. I want him to hurt. I want him to pain. I want him to cry. I want him to quit. I want him to die. But not anymore. And I'm sorry. And I walked home. I went back to the dorm and I sat down. And most of the night I sat down and I wrote and I rewrote a letter to my dad telling him I love him, I forgive him, and I'm sorry for not forgiving him. And I wrote that letter. It's five pages, single-spaced, handwritten. And I folded it up into the, the thing and I posted it. And I've never felt freer in my life. Because I had to, first of all. And I have to tell you this. It hurt to do. And I felt like I was letting my dad off the hook. Can I say you something? My dad did wrong. But I'm not his judge. And I cannot hold him accountable to a sin against me. That's God's business. Are you with me? I forgave him as a person. He's my dad. And my Bible says I have to honor him. Amen. My dad says I've got to love him. My dad's got a lot of wisdom. Even though he's unsaved, I need to listen to my dad. In almost all situations, he's older than I am. Except in being saved. So, third, uh, verse 23. Verse 23. Verse 23, you've got the description of a, of a king who brings in men who've had portions of his wealth and one guy has taken the wealth of the king and created debt. Verse 24, he brings one uh, unto him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was a an amount of silver, which was like a bag of pure silver. It's a fortune. And he owed 10,000 talents of silver back to the king. For as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded to be sold and his wife and his children, all that he had in payment to be made. And the servant therefore fell down, worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and did what? All right, now I want you to understand. Where'd the debt go? No, he's not gone. No, the king's got to pay it now. The man who had gotten taken the king's money and was supposed to be investing it and whatever and making money for the king, had blown it and had gotten himself in so much debt that the king absorbed all of that debt and says, you can go free. So what does forgiveness cost? The forgiver. Yeah, but I want to make them pay. I yeah, know. So do I. That's the old me. It will always cost the forgiver and it never costs the offender. Isn't that so wrong? Earthly-wise. 
You know, it costs God everything to forgive me. You know what he did when he died on the cross? He paid what I should have paid. Do you get me? He was, we heard that song, you were bruised that I might be made whole. Um, I can't remember all the words now. Uh, all of the, all of those words that, that we turned about, how deep is the love? Well, he took the pain so that I could have joy. Everything. He paid so that I could be free. And didn't cost us anything. How many had to pay for your salvation? Let me see your hands. None of us. How much did you, how much did you have to pay to get forgiven? Not a thing. Next time you got somebody, you say, you know, you owe me. Remember, God could say that to you. Fourthly, forgiveness must be total or it's not forgiveness at all. Look at verse 27. He then, as his illustration is, then the Lord of that servant was moved, this king was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. He forgave him all the debt. So when you forgive, it's got to be total or else it's not forgiven at all. Go to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Holding your place in Matthew. Psalm 103, wow, in verse 3, when he starts off in verse 1, the middle of your Bible, Psalm 103, 1, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name, blessed be the Lord, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget all, all his benefits, who forgiveth all, how many of my iniquities? All thine iniquities. Go down to verse 11. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. I mean, that's a lot of mercy. It's a lot of forgiveness. Um, a Christian has to set out to forgive everything that is owed to you. You may have to sit down and think about all the things they did to you so that you realize point by point you say, I forgive them and I forgive them of that and I forgive them for that. And then you tear it up, throw it in the fire, throw it away, flush down the toilet, whatever you got to do. Say, I forgive them. If it's not total, then it's not really forgiveness. Well, I, I, I started to forgive you is not forgiveness. Well, we'll work on it is not forgiveness. Number five, it always changes. Now watch this. It always changes the forgiver, the person who's been hurt. But it only sometimes changes the forgiven. Now this is going to put you off. But it always changes the one that is the forgiver. So many Christians are messed up in their hearts and their minds because they've not been able to forgive in the same way they've been forgiven. So, when I forgive in the same way I've been forgiven, believe me, it changes me. It frees me. Does that mean when I forgive somebody who's hurt me, does it mean it changes them? Not always. What did Jesus cry out on the cross? Father, what? Forgive them. Did did every one of them get saved? Did every one of them show up? For church, three days later in the upper room? No. When you decide to forgive the person who's hurt you, no matter how deep, I'm not saying that you let them off the hook. Maybe somebody needs to go to jail. Amen? It may be that serious. But you have to forgive them. You cannot hold it over them. And when you do, it changes you. It may not change them, but it will change you. I love this. Because I love my dad now. 
You know, when I go to be with family and I'm with that side of the family, <laughs> I could be so, oh, I hate these people. Hmm? But they're family. Amen. I can talk to my dad, my wife, and tell you I love my dad. I, if it weren't for my dad, I would never have met my wife. I never would have uh, uh, stayed at Bible college for an extra year to meet her, fall in love, get married, have five kids and six grandkids. If it weren't for my dad. Amen. Because he had an influence on telling me, stay in college. My point is this. I love my dad. I am free. When I'm in his presence, I don't feel any any pain of the past anymore. You say, you must be numb. No, no, it's not numb. It's just gone. And if every time you're around so-and-so, and I just want to swing his neck, <laughs> then you have not forgiven, and you are in bondage. He doesn't even know it. <laughs> and if you ever did write to that person, say, you know what, I've had grudge against you, Leo, for the last 17 years. Every time I've been in your presence, I've wanted to throw up. But today I heard Brother Ledbetter preach and it struck me in my heart and I'm sorry and I'm sorry and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. You hurt me 17 years ago and I never let you go and I've held it against you and I'm sorry. And Leo gets there and he goes, I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> it may make things weird between you and him, but I'll tell you this, you'll be able to walk away in the power of forgiveness. We want to have the power of justice, the power of vengeance. I want to make... There is no power there. You know, you know who wants to destroy and wants to be so precise and wants to be so exacting of sin? It's the devil. You know who wants to just wash it all away and never remember it again? Jesus Christ. It always changes the forgiver. Sometimes the forgiver. Did my dad get saved? After that letter? No, he wrote back, how dare you judge me. <laughs> Because I was telling him, he says, Dad, you hurt me and you walking away. He says, you didn't know both sides. And no, I didn't. But I didn't care. I just wanted to love him. And we've gotten on ever since then. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't always change. You say, well, I'll forgive if they do You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. You're going to have to just say, I forgive. Because it'll change you. It'll renew your mind. You will. You'll be a, you'll be a, a, a Christian that shines brighter than the sun, man. It also frees the forgiver and the offender. So this guy's loosed in verse 27 from his debt. It frees you so that you can continue to forgive again and again and again. But it frees the offended. You know, the best place to put a sinner is in a place where he can be forgiven. You know what we want to put an offender? In a box and make them cry. That's not where God puts you, I hope. He's very merciful to us, isn't he? Very gracious, very patient, very long-suffering. It will usually be abused and underappreciated. Verse 28, this is just revelation, folks. The same servant went out. This guy who's been forgiven, this is the Christian, by the way. He went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a 100 pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat. <laughs> saying, pay me that thou owest. Has any Christian ever hurt you? I bet they have. Verse 29, his fellow servant fell down to his feet, besought him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. He wants to try to make things right, verse 30, and he would not. This guy who just 
who's been forgiven, he would not. But he went and he cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Did he appreciate his forgiveness, yes or no? Think about it. Did this man who had 10,000 talents of silver in debt, and he was forgiven, did he appreciate his forgiveness? No wonder the king was upset. You see, when when we've been forgiven, go to Colossians chapter, well, no, go to Ephesians. I'll try to be fast. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4.31 Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. wonder how much of our conversation at home is verse 31. <laughs> verse 32 And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. What's the biggest word in that verse? It's the word as. Are you with me? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. If he has forgiven you so great a debt, can you not forgive them their debt to you? Brother, uh, oh, Pastor Buddy Franklin from Maine, he's called a maniac, but it's because he's from Maine. He said these words, he said, I'm going to preach. There were, in our, in our school at that time, there was about a thousand students. Maybe 1,200, whatever. He said these words. He said, and I remember them very clearly. He says, I'm going to preach for an hour. He said at the beginning, he said, I'm going to preach for an hour, and I guarantee you, 85% of you are going to walk out of here and never think another thing about this message. But 10 to 15% of you will take it to heart, and it'll change your life. And I decided I'm going to be in that 10 to 15%. I'm not going to miss this chance. Because most of us, we're coming to church, we've been forgiven, we're going to heaven, we have family given to us by God, we've been given a husband, been given a wife, we've been given health, we've been given everything, and we still meet somebody and say, I can't stand her. I just pointed at you, I hope you don't take it. Don't be offended now. I had to point at somebody. So unforgivingness. Withholding forgiving, forgiving is as, is the wickedest of sin, I think, that a Christian can commit. Verse 31 goes on, back to, uh, we'll finish this, Matthew 18, 31 to 35. When his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, they came and told unto the Lord that was, what was done. And his Lord, then his Lord, verse 32, 1832, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou, what's the next words? All right, first of all, he's a forgiven servant. I mean, he was wicked, and then he was forgiven of all his debt. Now he's wicked again. Can a Christian be living wickedly, yes or no? Yes. Thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all thou debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee, and his Lord was wroth and delivered him unto the what? Till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. If ye from the very center of your physical mind, emotional mind, and spiritual mind, the heart, if, if from your very heart, 
you do not forgive everyone his brother their trespasses. The Christian who cannot forgive is claiming a power greater than God who cannot withhold forgiveness. Did you know that? There are at least ten things. They used to say there are five things that God cannot do. I have found there are ten things that God cannot do. One is he cannot withhold forgiveness. Amen. He cannot withhold forgiveness. And if you are withholding forgiveness, you are claiming a power greater than God. The person who won't forgive will be tormented more than the person who hurt them. According to that Bible, if that Bible is right, that God will let you stew and be tormented and mentally self-destruct if you do not forgive. You'll be tormented more than the person who hurts you, while the person who hurts you probably lives quite free, not even knowing they hurt you. Beware, because unforgiveness, we talk about the deadly sins of, you know, of uh, Proverbs chapter 6 says, or seven deadly sins, well, here's number 8. A sin of unforgiveness. In simple words, you cannot be the recipient of forgiveness and not extend it. Because if you withhold it, it is a wicked, wicked sin. I said, first of all, that I'm not going to say anything more. I have more to say. I didn't know how I was going to get through this, but you got enough. I said, first of all, you're going to forgive. Maybe next week I'll be able to talk about what it means to forbear justice. That's how we want justice. And God says, whoever did hurt you, they did wrong. It's not your business to make sure they pay. It means to hold off getting even. David put off getting even with Saul twice. He says, I'll leave it to God. And God seems to put off getting even with me when I do wrong. He puts up and is long-suffering toward me. And if God's been slow to act against you when you sin, aren't you glad lightning doesn't strike every time you sin? <laughs> then don't make lightning strike every time somebody hurts you. Not only are you forgiving and forbearing, but you're going to have to forget. Again, I don't have time. You need to have trouble remembering what people did to you. That would be a wonderful way to live. Holding on to every memory of every hurt and every reason why someone cannot be trusted anymore and every reason why someone ought to be punished is going to kill the spirit of your mind. It will burn you out. It will twist your thinking. It will drain your spirit and your joy. That is the Bible. You are not married to, made to carry all of those burdens. What does it say? Casting all of those cares on who? On him, for he careth for you. So forget some things. Philippians 3 says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things. That's, that's, that's optimism. That's looking forward. For, forget some things on purpose. Next week, I'm going to talk about replacing and taking responsibility, but I think you got enough this morning. A renewed mind is a key to a transformed life. If you don't have a renewed mind, guess what? You can get it today. If you don't have a new mind, you can get it today. Just believe that book of books when it says you can be and you must be born again. Secondly, if you're born again, you do have a new mind, but it needs to be regularly renewed. Starts with reading that book. Don't talk to me about how hard it is to forgive if you're not in this Bible. Of course it's going to be hard because you're not even following the instruction book. You're like a man, you're like a, like a father on Christmas Eve trying to put together the kids' toys, but you're not using the instruction manual. <laughs> I don't need to look at the instruction. Yes, you do. You're going to learn to forgive. You're going to have to do it by the book. It then involves releasing how many offenses? 
Some of us have been around long enough to have a list that would be two miles long. How can you do such a thing? You forgive, and then you forgive again, and then you totally forgive again. Yeah, but they're not appreciating it. Doesn't matter. Forgive them again, and then you forgive them again. Well, I'm up to four. You've got 486 more to go. Then forbear justice. Let God deal with them. You know, it's okay to say, Lord, you deal with them. Lord, you get them. <laughs> Lord, you catch them. And then forget it. You know, it's great to be forgetful about some things. Especially the stuff the devil drags up out of your mind, and out of your memories. Hold off there. Let's pray. Father, I tried my best. Would you take over and would you please make it very, very pointed what we got to do. Last week we learned we need to pick up this Bible and read it every day. Every day, every day, every day, every day, every day, every day. Every page, every chapter, every book we got to read our Bible. Today we learn we need to forgive. If we're going to have a renewed mind, we're going to have to unclog it, simplify it, clean it up. And we can't clean it up until we've been forgiven and we start forgiving. We're not saying that people don't hurt us. We're not saying that it doesn't hurt. We're not saying that it doesn't nearly kill us when people go against us or when something happens against us. But we are determining that we must forgive if we're going to survive, if we're going to renew our minds, if we're going to get the victory. There are plenty of people in this room who have issues and background problems that they never shook and never gotten the victory over. And I guarantee if I could talk with everyone I'm personally and I ask them, what are you holding on to? What are you not forgiving? I would point to that and point to that and point to that and say, you got to confess that as sin and forgive now. Do it now. You may have to spend quite a while, but you'll never be the same. Father, would you please let every one of us let go of pride, let go of our desire for justice and for revenge. Help us to be broken and humbled and realize I'm in bondage. My mind is in torment. My heart is in pieces. And it's not because the person hurt me. It's because I won't forgive. Lord, it's impossible. I help your people this morning to forgive. In Jesus' name, amen.